Good again, welcome to Trinity. It is a joy to be gathered together here this morning. Uh, for those who are with us online, welcome to you as well. If you're new and you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you chose to be with us this morning. And, and it is our hope and our delight to be able to connect with you. And so if you wouldn't mind uh, connecting with us, one of our connection cards, you can find them on the table unless somebody got one to you already. Uh, just scan the QR code and, and, and we'll connect in that way, fill out the info and whatnot. Again, we're delighted to be able to gather together and to be encouraged uh, by, by who God is and what God has done. And we get to make much of that together, and it's a privilege that the church gets to, to do together. And so this is something we're doing together. Yes, you're hearing mainly from me as I'm speaking, but we're in this thing together. And God's chosen to bless this and to work mightily in it in and through our lives. So if you would, please, in your Bibles, open up to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. We are in a series through this last book of the Bible, and and right now we're, we're in a, a couple of chapters that are dealing with these little letters that King Jesus is having delivered to the churches in the region of what is now modern-day Turkey. And all of these churches, seven total, sort of represent the church as a whole throughout its history. And so while there are very specific things to these letters and these locations in the, in the original context, there are also big picture things, spiritual things that apply to us today. Hopefully, as we've been moving through these letters, we just have a couple of more to do. You've been encouraged. We, together, corporately, as a church, have been encouraged, challenged, convicted, encouraged, built up. And I hope that continues this morning. So let's read chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. It's the letter to Philadelphia hear God's word. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no, one's, no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and I have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we certainly pray that you would help us, uh, help us to to be greatly encouraged and refreshed by it. And so would you be with the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of this, your word, to your glory, to the good of your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever experienced an earthquake? Something more than just a slight shake. I, I've lived in the Midwest. I was born and raised in the Midwest, and then I lived in California for 
10 years, and so I've had tornadoes and earthquakes. And it's funny, in the Midwest, you are always curious about earthquakes, and, and out in California, they were fascinated with tornadoes. Anyway, have you ever experienced an earthquake? Something that shook a little bit longer than just, you know, sort of a, an initial rumble. There's something unsettling about it. Literally and metaphorically, you're unsettled. The quick realization that you're not in control. The ground isn't as solid as you presumed. And the great unknown of how long it will last or if it will worsen just sort of hangs there. Anything beyond three seconds and you start to to process your life a little bit differently in those moments. Philadelphia experienced earthquakes. No, not our Philadelphia, not the city of brotherly love that throws snowballs at Santa Claus. Not our Philadelphia, a different one, Mediterranean-based, in what is now modern-day Turkey. They were in a region where earthquakes were common, where everything was unexpected and unsettling, shaky ground. And like with many of the other letters, King Jesus is using a contextual experience of that location to convey a spiritual reality. Something about that place or that dynamic is being used here to convey a spiritual reality. And so, just like Philadelphia the city, the church in Philadelphia had experienced many unsettling, shaking challenges. It was experiencing those in greater measure. And we're going to consider that together today. As we can think through these letters, there's a a key analysis that we find is that the context is an unsettling one, and the church has but little power to do anything about it. And the exhortation that we get from King Jesus isn't so much a, a negative. In fact, this is one of two letters in which Jesus doesn't bring about some things that the church has to repent of. The exhortation from King Jesus to the church in Philadelphia is keep holding on. The context is unsettling circumstances. The call is to keep holding on, and the promise is that Jesus will keep his own. Jesus will keep his own. So as we wrestle with that and think about that, let's do that together by considering its context and of unsettling circumstances. And so in unsettling times, we are compelled by this passage to do two things. One, we are to look, look, look to the king. As things are unsettling, shaky all around us or under us in our lives or us as a church and a culture, we are to look to the king. And then secondly, we are to cling to what we have. Look to the king, cling to what we have. In unsettling times, that is our map. That is our roadmap, and so maybe as a church, we don't necessarily feel the unsettling notion right now, but maybe we will as a church, or maybe definitely in our lives we feel things are very unsettling right now, and so hopefully this encouragement will not only be for us individually and as families, but also as a family, a church family. So let's do that together. Let's first and foremost look to the King. In unsettling times, we are called to look to the king. 
And when we look to the king, we find one who is reliable. As the uncertainties and the unsettling circumstances of our lives and our world seem to be growing in exponential manner, we are to look to the king, to the one who is reliable. And in our passage, Jesus, King Jesus, stresses three realities of his reliability. There are three realities of his reliability that when we look to King Jesus together as a church and individually or as families, when we look to King Jesus, there are three reliabilities that we see. These real and true and ever-present, relevant realities of his reliability. The first that we find is that Jesus has authority. He has position over all things. The beginning words of verse 7, again, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. So attributing to King Jesus are divine words, words that would only be ever true of God. And so we have King Jesus is, is equated to as God. He is over all things. He is the Holy One, the true one. He's saying to this church that's experiencing unsettling challenges, look to me. And as he says that, he stresses his divinity and his trustworthiness. He's the Holy One, the true one. And then we have this word picture, if you will. He has the key of David. The key of David is a picture and promise of authority given to one who would come and do what no one else could do. It begins or found earlier in the Bible in the Old Testament in a book called Isaiah, Isaiah 22, 22. And here we find these words. And I will place on the shoulder the key of the house of David. And he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. This section of Scripture in the Old Testament is speaking to future fulfillment of God's promises. It's called prophecy. It's, it's the parts of the Old Testament that seem a little bonkers at times. Hard to understand. But it's, it's looking down the corridors of time and seeing God fulfilling what He has promised to do. And one would come to undo all that was broken. One would come to restore all that was lost. One would come to reign and rule in a, in a kingdom of His glory. And that one who would come would have this key representing His authority. This promise in Isaiah is about the one who would come with the authority and power to accomplish what no one else ever could, no king could ever bring about. And that's the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption. The fulfillment. In unsettling times, we're called to look to the king. And when we look at the king, he is reliable because he has all authority over everything, and that authority is also matched with the second reliability. He has power. Jesus has power. He has the position over all things and the power to accomplish all things. He has the power to accomplish all things. The rest of verse 7 goes on to say, of this one, of this Jesus, of this King, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. 
King Jesus has the power over all things, including the things that unsettle us like an earthquake. He has power over them. Meaning, His authority and His power means His purposes will prevail. There is no doorstop that blocks Jesus. No obstacle in and around our lives. No size of opposition against His purposes and His people that will stop Him. No situation in and around us will have greater power than His. So when you're in unsettling times as a person or as a family or as a church, we look to our King and we see one who has position over everything and power to accomplish all His purposes. But I want you to rehearse something with me, though. Because that's a great, that those, are, those are great thoughts to have ruminating in our head and our heart. But like, let's walk through a little exercise here. Let's start with the, the greater and work to the lesser. Let's start with the worse and then work into our situations. What do I mean by that? Well, start first with sin, death, and Satan. Those are kind of big things. You're not just, just going to treat them lightly, if you will. You're not just going to overcome them with a little extra discipline. No, sin, death, and Satan could not hold Jesus down. He paid the cost. He rose again. He disarmed the power. So if we start then with the greater, that is the accomplishment of redemption, overcoming sin, the grave, Satan, evil, all of it, fulfilling all of God's purposes and promises, if we start with the greater and then work our way into the lesser, that is, our, the challenges and circumstances that might be happening in and around our lives or in and around our church, if we start with the greater and work to the lesser, we're going to find that King Jesus is sufficient for us in the moments of these unsettling things that we're wrestling with us. If He can defeat sin with His perfect life, if He can defeat death rising from the grave, if He can disarm Satan, then, he, then our challenges in our lives are not too much for Him. We start there. We look to the King when things are unsettling around us, when the ground that feels like it shouldn't be moving is moving in ways it has no business moving. We look to the King. He is reliable. He has position and power. Now, that position and that power are great things because of the third reliability. But without it, that position and power become terrifying things. So what's that third reliability that we see? This reality of King Jesus' reliability is that He loves His people. He loves His people. He's over all things. His power is not limited in any way. Nothing can stop Him. On one angle, that can be horribly terrifying until we get to verse 9. Behold, I will make them come, those who oppose and seek to destroy the church, and bow down before your feet. They will learn that I have loved you. Jesus loves his people. And you know what that does? It puts his authority and its power for us, not against us. His love puts authority and power for us, not against us. 
And that means his love isn't just an empty love, a word-only love. It's actually backed with the highest position and the greatest power. So his love isn't shallow and empty. It, it's the, it spans the entire cosmos of the heavens and the earth. There's no limit to that. He's in the highest place and has the greatest power. And that's the kind of nature of love that he has for us. All who oppose God and his people will come to see how esteemed and loved by the king we are. Maybe you needed to hear that today. Maybe you look at the situations in and around your life. Maybe you look at the world around us and you just think everything is just too much. Maybe you just needed to simply be reminded that King Jesus is over everything, that King Jesus has power over everything, and that King Jesus loves his people. And maybe you just needed to hear that. Because the things around you or in you or under you or all the stuff that might be going on in your life feel like they're too much. Not too much of your king. So even if all the strength that you have in your life right now, all the strength of faith that you have in your heart right now is just enough to cast your eyes, spiritually, metaphorically speaking, to the king, then just do it. Look to the king. He is reliable. And with that look, there comes right now encouragement from the reliability of Jesus. There are right now encouragements that come when we look to the king and we see he has the authority and the power and that he loves us. There are right now encouragements and those right now encouragements that we find in our passages are first, Jesus is reliable to keep us. He's reliable to keep us. He's not going to toss us aside and nothing can dislodge us from his grip. He will keep us. If you feel like so much of your life is slipping away through circumstances outside of your control, look to the king. Take your head, take your heart, and look to the king. He is reliable to keep us. Verse 10, Jesus speaking, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. What is he talking about? Well, it's foreshadowing some things that we'll get to in the rest of this letter uh, that closes out the Bible. It's foreshadowing what will come later in Revelation. It's pointing forward. It's anticipating the full, final, forever judgment that the returning king will bring as he comes to reclaim what was lost and restore all that was broken and, and, and put all it back into place. He will deal with all of the injustice. He will deal with all of the waywardness, all of the evil, and it will be final. It will be full, and it will be forever. And when it comes, that's going to be an amazing and, and terrifying thing. There's a finality to this. And when He comes, His people, He will keep through that all. Through it all. Unsettling experiences in this life can certainly provoke our fear. Things can seem so much bigger than they are, and they may be very big. And they can cause us to doubt the king's ability or willingness to keep us safe. By saying that I will keep you. Even in the worst hour that is yet to come, I will keep you. 
Jesus is saying, I will keep you from the worst possible thing imaginable. The justice of God in separation from him. I will keep you all the way through it all to the very end. We take our heads and we take our hearts and we rehearse these truths to them in the moments of our unsettling things. And the things that dislodge our hearts and our faith, and we feel so uncertain, we tell ourselves the truth about the King. And from that, get right now encouragements. Jesus is reliable to keep. Secondly, Jesus is reliable. Right now, encouragement. Jesus is reliable to strengthen us. Verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Pillar. A pillar. Think about that image. Put an image of a pillar in your head right now. Is it made out of pillows? No. Now it is because I said it. But before that, no. No, the first thing that came to mind was probably marble or something strong and solid. There is the, the idea of permanence. Permanence. A pillar conveys permanence. King Jesus will keep us and strengthen us in such a way that permanence is our future. Flip that against the uncertainties and the unsettling things of this life. Permanence is our place. Permanence is our future. The unsettling realities in the present age are met with a permanent presence in the future. And when we see that and we understand that, it brings to our hearts and our faith a right now strength. There isn't anything that's like hanging in the balance. There's no uncertainty about your future, you who are trusting in Jesus for salvation. Permanence is your future. Permanence with God in fellowship, in glory, forever. And all the unsettling, all the uncertainties of this life are gone. Permanence. And that permanence brings us present day strength to keep going on in the face of things that do feel very unsettling. I mean, just even stop there. What else could we look to that could bring such right now encouragement than the one who keeps us and strengthens Keeps us and strengthens Well, there's a third. Jesus is reliable to keep us. Jesus is reliable to strengthen us. And Jesus is reliable to be with us. Be with us. Verse 12 continues. Never shall he go out of it, this temple in which permanence is our future. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Jesus puts his name on it. He puts his name on us. He signs off on our lives. The unsettled realities and uncertain rejections that we experience in this life are replaced by permanence and forever acceptance that God calls us his own, that we are God's. This is audio. So we are God's apostrophe S. Like we're not, we are God's. That's sorry. My brain um, did not need to be distracted by that. 
We are belonging to God. He is with us now. He is with us right now. And He will be with us forever. So I want to ask a question. Do we look at our circumstances that are going on in and around our lives? Do we look at the unsettling nature of them and the uncertainty that they bring? Do we look at them without ever considering the King? Do we look at these things that have tossed us and rattled us and have shook us? Do we look at them without ever looking at the King? Without considering Him? Without seeing Him and His reliability for us? Because if we do, if we do look at these situations in our lives without looking to the King, I will guarantee you, you will struggle with insecurities and fears. Because when you're in an earthquake and the ground that seems very solid and firm is moving in ways that should never be moving, you come real quick to the end of your control. You want to look at the circumstances and try to handle them in your life that are so unsettling and so uncertain? It's going to be just like that. So do you look at them without looking to the king? To look to the king is to see the one who is reliable for our right nows and our future. Liable for it. He has all the authority, he has all the power, he loves us. And that brings to us right now encouragement that he's going to keep us, he's going to strengthen us, he's going to be with us. He's going to be with us. We're not alone and we're not left to our own devices and our own strength. Instead, we have the king to look to. And when we look and we see what we find there, we need to cling to it. We need to cling to it. And that's our second call from our passage. In the unsettling times, we are to cling to what we have. We are to cling to what we have. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast. Hold on. Don't let go. Cling. Cling. Don't, don't let go. Hold on. I know life is hard, but hold on as I hold on to you. I will be there soon. Hold on. A while ago when we started our series in Revelation, I gave us an interpretive key as we go through some interesting waters in the book of Revelation. There are some odd things that are hard to explain and, and there's going to be some weeks coming down the road where I'm going to say, I don't know and you're just going to have to be okay with it. We're going to get there. And in those moments, this interpretive key is so crucial. We need to keep this in mind as we go through this. Life is hard. Evil is real. God is in control. Jesus wins. So hold on. Why is revelation in the Bible? Because that needs to be pressed and seared into our heads and our hearts and our church. Hold on. Hold on. How do we cling? How then do we cling to what we have? Our passage gives us some encouragements. It doesn't give us everything that we can do and labor together in dependence on the Lord, but it gives us some important things that we can do. And highlighting the things that 
are true of the church in Philadelphia, we, we can take from that and apply to our lives together as a church here in Nashua. So how do, we, how do we cling to what we have? Well, the first thing that we're going to find is that we, uh, we can cling to what we have when we pursue faithfulness. When we pursue faithfulness. So keep this in mind. Clinging to what we have is not idleness. It's not just sitting around waitingness. That there's something that we are actually engaged in. And the first thing that we are engaged in is that we are to pursue faithfulness. Verse 8. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. They continued to pursue faithfulness, holding on, trusting, believing, living in light of. They had but little power in their culture, little power to bring about any kind of change that might bring them relief from the pressures and stressors that they were experiencing as the church. They were probably facing very similar opposition of all kinds that we've already considered in these letters. And they weren't buckling under that. They had little power, but they were holding on. They were believing. They weren't chasing cultural power or cultural acceptance because they know both of those are exhausting and fleeting and fickle. Rather, they pursued knowing God through faith in Christ, loving Him, and living for His glory. As a church, they kept the main thing the main thing. Knowing God through faith in Christ. Having hearts that have affection for God. And lives that are eager to bring Him glory. So what do we want to do in the light of what we see in the King and understanding what it is that we have in Him? Well, we want to pursue faithfulness. We want to keep knowing Him truly, deeply, in expanding ways. We're never going to run out of things to learn about the glories of God. And we want to love Him. He's loved us so much that He gave up His life for us so that we could have life with Him. He paid a debt we could never pay, and He took on a penalty we could never face, and He overcame an enemy we could never beat so that we could be with Him. Don't you want to know Him and love Him? And live for His glory. Live for His glory in your, in your life, in your singleness, in your marriage, in your stage of life. Whether you're a middle school student, do you want to live for His glory as a middle school student? Or maybe you're 22 and you're just sorting out what in the world is adulthood and why does it smell here? Like maybe that's what's happening for you. Do you want to live for His glory? Do you feel like He's worth it? Well, do you know Him? Are you knowing Him? Pursue faithfulness. Pursue clinging to Him through the vibrancy of faith, trusting Him, knowing Him, growing at knowing Him, loving Him, living for His glory. All the stuff in the culture around is always going to be a mess. I mean, hasn't it always been a mess? Some of you are older than me. It's always been a mess. Those of you younger, don't be discouraged by it. It's always a mess. It's okay. You can't necessarily have enough power to change it all. And you can't have enough coolness to be accepted. 
Don't chase it. Just pursue knowing him, loving him, and living for his glory. Second way that we can go about clinging to what we have. Pursue faithfulness, yes, and then make much of Jesus. Verse 8 continues on. And they have not denied my name. Have not denied my name. They've continued to live out as a church, making much of Jesus. This applies both to doctrine, that is what we believe, the things of our faith that we believe, and it applies to our practice, that is how we live. So this church was continuing to believe rightly about who God is and and how he relates to us through the personal work of Jesus Christ who fulfills all of God's promises. They were seeing that doctrine permeate through their faith. They were holding on and making much of Jesus in their beliefs, but also in their lives and how they were living it out. They were making much of Jesus together when they gathered for corporate worship. They were singing of his glories and of his grace. They were making much of Jesus in their community, intentionally investing in one another so that we would help each other grow at knowing and loving and living for his glory. And they were living on mission even in the face of a culture that overwhelmed them. They were of but little power and they were still making much of Jesus. They didn't deny him in belief or practice. So how do we go about that? The same way we we, we see our worship infused with a, a, a togetherness in an approach of His glory and grace. We make much of it together in song and in prayer and of the Word when we're together. We see that our only hope is found in Christ alone. And so we sing of that and we pray like we mean that. And we, we come to the Word like we believe that. And when we're together in our lives and in, in, in classes or in coffee shops or in living rooms, we're intentionally investing in one another to walk through all of the things that go unsettling in our lives, all of the insecurities that we struggle with. We help each other say, let's look to the king together. Let's look to the one who has all authority and power and who loves us. Let's see what it is that we have and let's hold on to that together. And then we look at the world around us and we know that they're chasing counterfeit gods and counterfeit treasures and counterfeit hopes and counterfeit dreams. And we say, we got the real thing over here. Why don't you come on over here and see the real thing? Keep making much of Jesus. I don't know what will happen. I just know that the joy of making much of Jesus is enough for us to keep doing it. We find there clinging for Philadelphia was pursuing faithfulness and making much of Jesus. And then lastly, we see that clinging to what we have requires a long-haul perspective. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. To look at life with a long-haul perspective. To know that this is not all that there is, that there is yet more to come. And when this life ends, it's just, it's just the end of the beginning. There's so much more yet to come. That perspective helps 
stabilize us in the moments of things that are unsettling. Because of future glory with the King, we can endure present struggles. Eternity brings stamina to the present. Nothing hangs in the balance because of our King. Therefore, we can have balance in the shaky moments of our lives. A long haul perspective that Jesus is bigger than all that we might face. So friends, we can wait it out. We can wait it out. Those struggles, those uncertainties, health that goes awry, job that gets lost, a relationship that gets broken, pressure from a world that rejects what it is that we believe, all of it, and everything else in between. We have a king who is over it all, power to accomplish his purposes, who loves us, who keeps us, strengthens and is with us. So let's pursue faithfulness at knowing Him, loving Him, and living for His glory. Let's make much of Him together. And as we do, let's look at this with the long haul in mind, knowing that one great and glorious day, our faith will move to sight. The exhaustion will be met with rest. And the sorrow that we know all so well will be filled with joy that requires eternity express that's who we have when we look to the king that's what we get to cling to so even as we experience unsettling shakes in our lives and and maybe someday even as a church king is over it all he is with us not against us so let's cling to him let's cling to him together let's pray God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would just plant it deep in our hearts, that it would help us to look at the situations and circumstances in our lives, that it would strengthen us with a resolve and a joy and a hope and a faith that is fixed on you. God, may we be truly encouraged that you are keeping us and strengthening us and are with us. Many of us this morning may feel very empty and weak of but little power. God, may we keep your word. May we pursue faithfulness. May we make much of you to ourselves, to each other, to others. May we look at these things in our life that feel so overwhelming with eternity in mind. May it bring to us present We are in need of it now. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.